Running Light Ministry podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Hey, welcome to this week's Running Light Ministries podcast. My name's Bo. And I'm Peter. And we're going to talk today, we're actually going to answer a question today, and uh, and then we're going to talk about porn and sex in the Bible, because that's what this podcast is all about. We hope that you guys are getting some uh, interesting perspectives, maybe some different perspectives than what's currently out there. But let's begin with a question that we received. It says, uh, Bo, how can our children know how to keep their little children from becoming addicted to porn? We have a nine-year-old boy and girl and two younger ones. So far, my daughters have not believed me when I tell them that they need to put safety locks on their computers, etc. And so uh, this lady is obviously a grandmother. And um, and I can I first start off with this answer? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, first, I want to say that there's an assumption being made in the question. And it's a question that uh, to keep your little children from becoming addicted to porn. Um, so the first ex- assumption is that um, you can first be an addicted to porn. Right. Um, that's a popular assumption um, today. Um, obviously, sex addiction therapy uh, is like very fast growing. Um, as far as a therapy and a recovery, I mean, you see it online now. I think it's kind of gotten even more popular with, um, like, entertainment people, like, um, you know, the Tiger Woods incident where he cheats on his wife and and they get put into rehab because they're they're labeled sex addicts because they commit adultery. So, you know, it's kind of interesting that if you have any kind of sexual deviance from a certain kind of supposedly normal sexual behavior, assuming that there is such a thing as normal sexual behavior, which that is an assumption too, Mm -hmm. because what is really normal sexual behavior in the world? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, and and that's the crazy thing is nobody knows. It's hard to understand what is actually normal sexual behavior. So, but if anybody deviates from, quote, a normal, what, what a culture would deem normal, um, then they're labeled the sex addict in our in our culture. So, for instance, so we have men that that come and talk to us all the time because you know me and Peter obviously have have um, definitely struggled with pornography in our lives, mm. and and still do in, in ways um, for sure. And um, uh, but we have a lot of men that come to us and they automatically assume that they're porn addicts, mm. um, and why do you think they are assuming that they're porn addicts, Peter? Uh, well, I think it's um, it's a couple reasons. I think that the the term porn addiction is appealing to people who struggle with pornography and stuff like that for several reasons. Um, I think one of the major reasons that that term is appealing is because it's almost like a kind of passing the buck kind of deal. Where it's like, you know, it's not really my fault. I just kind of have this biological thing where, you know, I desire to have sex all the time. You know, and that's totally not what other people deal with. This is kind of my thing and I need to I need to fight it. And then and secondly, it passes the buck in the sense that it, it's like, um, you know, I didn't really know how, how addictive pornography was. But then when it, you know, sunk its teeth in me, I was kind of sunk. And that 
points. That was kind of it. So I, I know that, that that terminology becomes kind of appealing to a lot of men uh, because you don't really have to look at the actual problem. You kind of start dealing with pornography like a substance. And uh, it also simplifies things because, once again, if it's not a problem with my heart, it's not really a problem with the way I view the world and the way I view women. And it actually is a problem with the product of pornography. Like a physiological... Like a physiological, biological component. Then I don't really have to deal with my heart problem. I just need to avoid and abstain and eventually it will go away. Uh, just like any other type of addiction, like alcohol addiction. You know, the problem isn't really with the heart of the person. The problem is with the substance itself. Yeah. And so we just need to get you off the substance, and then you'll be okay. Which is kind of interesting because um, what do you do? Good abstinence from sex? Yeah. <laughs> and what's really interesting is that, uh, you know, there's research done on people that abstain from sex actually uh, are, are less frequently um, to masturbate. And those that have sex are people that masturbate more. So it kind of works opposite of a physiological addiction to a drug. Right. You know, in, in that way. Right, where if you abstain from alcohol, then obviously you're not getting drunk. <laughs> right, you're not getting drunk. Yeah. That's right. So um, it's, kind of, it's kind of different, you know, that's for sure. But, I, I, I'm, yeah, I mean, I, I think how you put it, those two things, I think that's so true, how, how addiction does kind of take a focus off of kind of the choices that we make. And um, and it also is again it assumes that there's a, a norm, you know it assumes that you know and that's the scary thing. What if you used what if you used addiction for anything like that? You know that hey that's not really the norm. You must be addicted to it. Yeah. Like you know your anger is really bad. You must be addicted to anger, or your pride is you have a, you're a prideful dude. You're addicted to pride. Or man, you eat like a lot of cookies. You're addicted to cookies. <laughs> you know we, and we do use that in the culture. It's like an addictive mindset that the culture has yeah um, and and i think that what has happened um from my studies in psychology and i'm sure yours as well psychology and sociology is that whenever they try to they try to prove something like that they hit dead ends and they hit um they hit enigmas meaning mm -hmm. they, they run into personality types that don't conform to that pattern right people who like porn but they're they can quit they really can just like do it for some periods of time yeah. and quit whenever they want. Yeah. So you, you're always going to run into enigmas, and that's that's one of the, the major plot holes in psychology as a whole is that they try to make people into a science, and you can't really do that because everyone's different, and there's there's uh, different nuances within different people's uh, patterns. And especially if I try to make a science out of something like um, viewing pornography, it's like, well, if I turn it into a science, then what I'm doing, and, and this is another interesting thing about the Bible that – is really kind of interesting. I was I was going over in a in a Bible study I'm doing um, with one of the the people at this church, and we were reading Genesis chapter four, the first instance when uh, sin is kind of mentioned by God, minus the tree, knowledge of good and evil. So men in their fallen state, this is the first time God mentions sin, and this is what He says to Cain, which I think is really interesting. He says in verse six, He says, "Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted?" And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So this is like God's statement here about what he would define as sin is way different than the religious or the sociological kind of view of sin. 
because the sociological view of sin or the biological or the psycho- psychological, however you want to call it, view of sin or addiction or anything like that would be, you know what sin is? It's when you who are not supposed to drink alcohol take a drink of alcohol and you mm-hmm. get drunk. That's the sin. But here God is saying, no, sin actually exists outside of your actions. You sin because there's a heart behind the sin, and that's what made you do the physical action. But it all began inside of your heart. It wants to rule over you. It wants to dominate you. But then here's the other component. He says that you actually can rule over it. He said you should rule over it. So that means that what he's saying to Cain is, first off, your sin is more complicated than just saying you killing your brother is the sin. What he's saying is that you're already murdering Abel in your heart. That's already happening, and this sin wants to rule over you, and when you actually physically do murder him, that's when it rules over you. Um, But he says, but you can actually control it. You can rule over it, is what he's saying to Cain, which Mm -hmm. is different than the religious perspective as well. Mm -hmm. Because the religious perspective might be like, well, you know, if you just um, say the prayer of Jabez nine times, and, you know, you say a couple Holy Marys, and maybe, you know, confess your sins a couple times, and then it'll just go away. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's not what God says either. He doesn't say, "Hey, why don't you just pray to me and I'll take away the temptation." Mm-hmm. He actually is, is giving him an indication that he has to actually fight this thing mm-hmm. and and actually learn uh, to rule it. Rule it, which yeah. is weird. It's like a weird perspective that I think mm-hmm. we've lost. Mm-hmm. So, like you said, Bo, even in the question, there's kind of some things that we got to think about. What do you mean by porn addiction? Do you mean that pornography, that if you do anything outside of regular sexuality, you're an addict? Mm -hmm. And do you mean that if you're an addict, are you saying that you have no actual rule over your own sexuality and you just kind of have that that propensity? You have an addictive, quote-unquote, addictive personality, and that's just who you are, and and you just have to function like that? Is that what you're saying? Or, Or are you saying that if you view pornography when you're a 13-year-old, then you're just destined to view it for the rest of your life, and that's just kind of your deal because yeah. you, you ruined your neurons. And, and your you need clinical clinical care. You need clinical care. Yeah. Like someone who's addicted to heroin needs to go to a, a clinician <laughs> to help him. Yeah. Like, is that is that how sexual addiction is is like oh now you know well i i tend to you know hey i I, you're a person and you go i kind of like you know i'm a single person i kind of like uh multiple partners i'm a polyandry kind of person you know um and then your doctor says well that's that's an addiction and you need to you need to go to a clinic and they'll they'll help you out you know is that is that how we deal with that a person's sexual choice of what they want to do yeah. you know i mean think about the the implications of even thinking that way what if a christian were to say um man struggle with homosexuality and the answer in the christian community is well you need to go to a clinic for that yeah you, know, you have a disease right you know and, and i mean think about the kind of message that that would send to the world that now we're just diagnosing every sin as a as disease. a disease as an addiction, you know, it's kind of like the the movement that happened in the 1500s, where you know, it was finding the demon. There's a demon behind everything, and we need to call it out and beat it. You know, uh, now instead of using the word demon, now we're using the word addiction, disease. Yeah, yeah and st- instead of understanding that, you know, you know, a Christian worldview is obviously that we all, um, you know, have. Uh, in a sense, turn the glory of God to shame, as it says in Psalm 4. And how does it say we've done that? That we have loved worthlessness. We've all gone after worthlessness things. 
Meaning God has certainly set up things the way the, if you will, the car needs to be run and the kind of gasoline that needs to be in the car in order, and that's how our bodies and our lives are. He's set it up where they function a certain way. And when we, when we don't listen to God's, uh, um, uh, instructions, then we obviously are loving worthlessness. That's certainly so. Um, but the answer is to go to the great physician, obviously, Jesus Christ, whose blood cleanses us from all sin, you know, and we are set free from the penalty of sin. And then we are given actually the spirit to actually wage a good warfare against um, things of the flesh. And that's really what Galatians 5 is all about, is the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the flesh, and they're at war with one another, and we're going to be battling those things constantly. So that's just a quick kind of Christian worldview of how how we're to look at sinful inclinations of all kinds. Um, but even even with that Christian worldview, I certainly agree that there is physiological addictions that take place, meaning you put something in your body, and over a period of time, you know, you certainly become physiologically addicted to that chemical reaction that's going on in the brain because you're introducing a substance into it. To say that sex is like that would be equating marital monogamy sex as an addiction mm. because you're having a chemically charged reaction in your brain that you're enjoying um, maybe through orgasm or not through full orgasm, just the chemicals are happening in your brain just through the physical sensations themselves. Right. You know. So what's the distinction between monogamous orgasm and non-monogamous orgasm? Your brain certainly doesn't know a difference. <laughs> That's the thing. You know. I mean, if I were to if I were to boot up a CAT scan for someone who is having monogamous sex. Uh, within the bounds of marriage to the glory of God, the firing and the synapses and everything like that would be exactly the same as some dude who's having, uh, you know, homosexual sex or having three-way sex or having... Yeah, um, I can't imagine it being... I mean, I can only speak from my perspective of self-gratifying as a man, and meaning masturbation, and um, and my my relationship with my wife, who I've only been with my wife um and i can say from that perspective that n you know nine out of ten times i mean the times that i'm with my wife are extremely uh um impactful on my my brain meaning meaning the actual ecstasy that's experienced in the sexual relationship is very, um, man, I almost feel like I'm going to pass out at times. I mean, you know, it's like, you know. It's awesome. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, I mean, that, that sensation is absolutely amazing. But, you know, again, to, to, to equate that kind of chemical firing to addiction, um, man, that's, that's creating a boatload of issues, you know, and that certainly confuses and muddles everything. So when you say addiction, when it comes to sex, um, that very well could be, um, um, something that really is maybe not 
not fully. Uh, you know, we. I don't. I don't know if the research really bears that out. I think that's more of an alarmist maybe mentality, mm-hmm. meaning. Um, um, and I know. I know even our friends that are counselors might really disagree with me on that. Um, but but that's. I mean, the research will have to bear bear it out. You know. I mean, but but I think our talk so far has been that you know. When you when you do say addiction, it does create a lot of problems. Right, right, and it creates a problem, uh, especially what I've seen as well in the men that I counsel is when that you see yourself as an addict, you have to start fitting the mold of an addict. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it means that like man, if I really see myself as a porn addict, and I see porn as a substance uh, that I need to abstain from, and that's really what's going on, and and. Uh, then instead of again, instead of dealing with the issues, I mean, what if my attraction to pornography isn't because of the chemical firings or responses? What if my addiction to pornography is just I'm a lonely person and I like the feeling of intimacy I get from watching porn? Yeah, it has nothing to do with yeah. self-gratification. Many yes. many women read erotic novels. You read erotic novels, you get on chat rooms, you do Facebook, yeah. whatever. Yeah, and there's no self-gratification. And there's it. not, yeah, there's not even any self-gratification going on there. So actually, the, the whole reason why I'm viewing pornography is just for that reason. And in that case, I would look at that person and be like, well, it has nothing to do with the chemicals then. And so if I treat that as an addiction, then you're actually not going to get helped at all. You're going to be the same dude. <laughs> you know, there's nothing that's going to change inside of your heart or inside of your life. Yeah. You're just going to abstain, abstain, abstain from pornography when pornography isn't even the problem. Mm. The problem is that your want and your need for companionship and your want and your need for relational type of uh, emotional validation. That's what you're going after. And until you, uh, as a Christian, obviously our solution is that, well, that emotional validation needs to come from Christ. Mm-hmm. That I'm complete in Christ, and I need to be hearing His voice, and that's what makes me complete, and not from that. So I, I can't treat it like an addiction in that way. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I was dealing with someone who was an alcoholic, then that would be the primary thing I would focus on: abstaining from alcohol. Yeah, because that's his deal. <laughs> that's right. His problem. Right. You know, and, where someone could abstain from—I mean, obviously, someone can abstain from from you know pornography and still be a jerk. Right. You know. But again, it's it's uh, you know, do you have someone abstain from sex? Yeah. You know, completely. And then again, you know, how does how does the uh, world define what right sex is? Especially if you're married. <laughs> right. And I mean, we have a lot of guys that we deal with as well. Well, their primary um, expression of what we would call sexual morality happens with their spouse. Mm-hmm. You know, meaning that they're they're using their spouse as basically just a, a hand. Yeah. Almost, where they they have they've never really thought through the ideas and implications of loving intimacy with my wife to the glory of God, but it's just you know I wake up at two in the morning and I can't get back to sleep and you know I'm I'm feeling aroused so I just kind of wake up my wife and that's what she's there for you know yeah her her body's on her own yeah uh, so when I'm dealing with a man like that it's like you know what I call that sex addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, what I deal with it, like sex addiction, hey, buddy, you just need to abstain from sex for yeah. the rest of your life. That's the solution. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, some, you know, and to me it's like, you know, we have to realize that there's personal choice in our life. And all of us have a choice of what we're doing. You know, whether it's someone going to a massage parlor or something, someone going to pornography. And I'm not saying that there's not an excitement with it and there's not a pull towards it. You know, where you, you, you get a pull towards something just as you get just as I get a pull towards good food, 
You know what I mean? And there's an excitement there. You know, you're going to eat something that you really want to eat and you're hungry and your body develops a, uh, certainly a sexual appetite. Right. You know. And I mean, look at how God in Genesis 4 again, look at how God describes the sin pull for Cain. Well, mm-hmm. What was the sin pull for Cain? Mm-hmm. It wasn't drugs. It wasn't sex. It was bitterness. And yet God is describing sin as like this taskmaster kind of deal. Paul does a similar thing in Romans 7 where he only, he personifies sin, where he says sin taking advantage filled me with all sorts of uncleanness. So there's this idea that sin is pulling him in a way. And what sin is the Apostle Paul talking about? Covetousness. So it's like, do, do many of us think about covetousness as, as like something that pulls us and, and moves us and does these things? Not really. Not when it comes to sex addiction. Not when it comes to sex addiction. They go, no, you know, that's, yeah. you know, we're, we would say, hey, well, no, what is your, what is, how is, you know, are you coveting? What are you coveting? Mm. You know, why are you coveting it? Right. You know. Right. And so, uh, again, the perspective of the Bible is that all sin wants to rule over you. All sin wants to rule over you. My pride wants to rule over me. My selfishness wants to rule over me. But the the purpose of the Bible is that not all sin is addiction, though. Mm-hmm. Not all sin is necessarily addictive in that biological sense. You know, there are some sins that do carry a biological addictive component to them, such as heroin, cocaine, things like that. And it would be weird for me to equate that to the sin pull of covetousness or the sin pull of pride or selfishness. Because then really there's no distinction. Right. If you did that, then there wouldn't be any distinction between what's addictive and what's not from a Christian point of view. We would just lump it all into addiction. So it's like you would say, oh, I I covet. Well, I'm addicted to covetousness. (laughs) Oh, you know, I had sex. I'm addicted to sex. Um, You know what I mean? Right. Every sin in and everything would be so there so really it would it would be moot to use the the word addiction yeah it loses all of its meaning yeah that's right um but but to really go quickly go back to what i believe that the person is asking in this question is is i believe what they're asking is how, how do i protect um, my children from getting involved in pornography which i think is a is a valid question i think that's something that we do need to think through um I mean, first of all, I mean, we've talked in other podcasts about how you'd have to be very naive in this day and age to not realize that pornography, how big pornography is and how accessible it is to your children. Uh, You'd have to be pretty naive to not realize that. Um, And so obviously there are are statistics that we've given. There's statistics on our site that kind of show the the relevance of, of pornography, but I think the major thing that you can do, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously Accountable to You, Safe Eyes, um, Covenant Eyes are great programs that will help you build accountability software with your kids. But the number one thing is, are you dialoguing with your children? Yeah. You know, are you talking to them about the right context for sexuality? Yeah. Um, are, are you breaking down the illusions and the strongholds that are that are taking hold of their life? Um, I was like what Jesus says in John 8 where he says, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So there's this insinuation in his speech that there's a deception, a manipulation, a lie that's holding me in bondage. Mm-hmm. You know, and the lie, obviously, when I view pornography is that this is going to make me feel better. This is good. This is going to, this is great. You know, what mm-hmm. I'm watching is real. It is, it, it's tangible. You know, and, uh, when I was a teenager, it's different when I was an adult. 
But when I was a teenager, I do remember watching pornography and truly believing that that's what sex should look like, mm. that that's what monogamous relationships, you know. But that that goes beyond porn. You know, I'd watch yeah. movies and I'd see the, think the same thing. Yeah. Oh, that's what it looks like. You know, yeah. that's what it looks like to, you know, that's what a normal relationship is. Yeah. You, know, you meet a girl, you go back to their house, you know, you have sex and it's not a big deal and then love grows from it. Yeah, and, and regardless of if, if porn sex is, is considered uh, real or not, which that's another topic, right, because obviously – Porn sex is sex, so it's real. (laughs) For those who don't know, (laughs) it's it's real sex out there. Um, You know, uh, the issue to me is is not that because it is real sex, and I understand your point though. Um, But but it's that those though you know in society it's illegal to view pornography under the age of eighteen, and obviously when a kid is growing up. you know, it's understandable that a child is not going to understand everything that is being shown in pornography, or a 13-year-old might not be able to process things properly, or a 15-year-old might not be able to process things properly, mm-hmm. without without some dialogue in there. Just like watching a horror movie, you know, is going to freak out a lot of kids if you don't talk them through it, mm-hmm. and you say, hey, this is what, that's really... You know, this is really, um, you know, this and this is happening here and this is why this is happening. You have to you have to explain things to them right? Um, or else they're going to have a misunderstanding of stuff. Right. But and once again, that goes into everything. I mean, yeah. Could you imagine what if, what if I just showed my kids Disney? I just showed them, you know, Cinderella, Little right. Mermaid, right. Sleeping Beauty. What view of the of sexuality is presented in those films? Oh, I meet a guy. And we're in love at first sight. Right. And we kiss on the first date. Kiss on the first date. <laughs> and then, you know, it's happily ever after. I get That's married. Right. If I'm not able to explain that in context for my kid, um, and he truly believes, he or she truly believes that's what relationships are supposed to look like. That's just as damaging as someone who watches pornography and thinks that uh, relationships progress in the way of pornography. Right. You know, it, it's still going to ruin his love life, his romance life, if he believes that. Yeah. So no matter what, no matter what type of movies, you can't really, what I'm trying to say, and I think what you're trying to say as well, Bo, is that every single one of us, because we're sons and daughters of Adam, have a false view on, that goes against God's view for our sexuality. And whether you have more of a monogamous type of personality and you want to just be with one person your whole life, which, by the way, I have friends who are atheists who think that way. You don't mm-hmm. need to be a Christian to think that way. Yeah, um, of course not. I, I have friends who are, who are atheists who totally think that way. They just want to be with one person. Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless of what your bend is, whether it's type of more, uh, more monogamy or, or more types of... Um, sexual mora- what we would call sexual morality, the, the long and the short of it is is that you have false motivations and you have false reasons. According to the Bible, you have false reasons and false motivations for doing those things that does go against God's plan and purpose for your sexuality. So every single one of us needs to talk through those things and figure out, well, what's my, um, what's my distortion of God? Whether it's just a distortion of God's love, you know, or whether it's a distortion of what monogamous a marriage should look like, you know, the roles of the husband versus the wife or whatever. You know, there needs to be some breaking down of illusions that happens inside of every single one of us. Some lies need to be tackled. For me, uh, because I obviously bend more towards the porn side, yeah, for sure, there was a lot of 
um, false things that needed to be pulled down in me uh, about porn. Um, and, and I'm thankful that God is doing that. However, there were also some false religious uh, um, things that I thought uh, about sexuality. Um, you know, like, what about the lie that, hey, if you just wait till marriage, it all comes naturally when you get married? Well, that's not true either. You know, anyone who's right. had intimacy knows that that's not true. Or your sex is going to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to yeah. be phenomenal if, if you just wait. Right. You know? And I hear that from the pulpit all the time, and I'm like, that's not true. Right. You know, that's just not true. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think that way, I mean, talk about the pressure that would come upon a young person going into intimacy for the first time if they think that it's supposed to just be fantastic the first yeah. time. Yeah, and what's weird about your story and my story, and I love that we're like a yin and a yang, man. We've like kind of got the difference going. <laughs> You know, is that, you know, I, I, I'm the one who, who biffed it in every Christian way, you know, premarital sex, a bunch of premarital sex, no premarital counseling, no going to church, you know, and, and when I got married and, and we had sex, obviously, it was wonderful. It was great. Had no problems. You know, it wasn't weird. It wasn't odd. There was no fear. There was no guilt. There was no shame. There was just we just went kept going <laughs> you know what i mean and which is so weird because you know it, there, there is no cookie cutter way no you know i mean uh and 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 you know we all have a walk with christ and god certainly is good to correct his children in different ways and in personal ways and things like that mm-hmm. um but yeah, it's because your story's a lot different than that, and uh, um, we got we got to wrap up the podcast now, and and it's kind of been a good talk, to, kind of on addiction a little bit, and what our thoughts are on uh, uh, addiction to porn, and how maybe there's some issues with that. Um, but I think next week when we when we do our next podcast, uh, we could talk a little more about what if what if this grandma is coming from a point of view of you know my my daughter's not a believer. And a Christian, she doesn't have a Christian worldview, but I want her to put something on the the thing for the kids, you know, that the kids don't view porn. And I thought you brought up some really good points here uh, uh, about, you know, how even even just showing Disney to your kids can really screw them up for future, yeah. you know, and that type of thing. That, that really, I think, is something we could probably hone in on next week. Heck, if I just read parts of the Bible without context, I'm going to be really <laughs> That's right. Up, you know? That's right. If I just read the life of David and that's how I'm going to base my sexuality, yeah. I'm going to be a mess. <laughs> right, know? right. So, so there, everything needs to be put in context. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk about that maybe more next week, okay? Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. <laughs>